Thanks for joining us here at Temple Baptist Church in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. If you would like to see other resources or learn more about our ministry, check out www.tbccentralia.com. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. All right, well, good morning. Welcome back to week number four for our uh, all-in message series. And so if you remember in week number one, Week number one, you'll remember that um, I talked about the topic of five love languages. All right. So um, five love languages. Here we go. Is, uh, if you haven't taken that survey yet, you really need to do this. Okay. Why? Um, because it has a chance to change uh, your relationships. It has a chance to improve um, who, who you are as a person. And then if you remember in week two, I shared with you three verses out of 1 Corinthians 13. And those three verses are this, um, how that it talked about how that no matter what you do, no matter what you accomplish in life, if, if you don't have love, it's worthless. So no matter what you achieve, it's all hollow if we don't have love. If no matter what you try to uh, accomplish by this world standard, that it's wonderful, it's incredible, doesn't matter. Well, then in week three, I went through the rest of uh, 1 Corinthians 13, where it talked about God's um, love towards us. And then he demonstrated, what does love look like? And he gave a very good description between verses four through eight. He said, love is patient. Love is kind. And then he even uses some negative terms, you know, that love isn't this. Love, you know, isn't selfish. It isn't self-serving. And so what we remember is, um, you know, there's a great descriptor of what love should look like with all of us. And then last, uh, or this week, I want to share with you a different thing, and that is called Love Does. Now, uh, what's interesting is, uh, today I titled this Love Does, A Tale of Two Friendships. And the reason why I call it that, first of all, I want to talk to you about a friendship between a guy named Bob Goff and uh, a a friend of his named Randy. And I came across Bob through a, a book that he wrote, and it was in 2011, and um, the word of the year for me that year was the word love. All right, everyone say that, love. All right, so that, that was my word of the year. And what that means is everything that's happening, I was focused on love. If I saw something, um, I would go and look, if, if, and in this case, it was this book. Um, and it, it was said, Love Does. So I purchased this. I, I just got to be honest with you. Normally, I wouldn't purchase a book named Love Does. But because I was very intentional, I was focused on um, doing everything possible as far as being uh, focused on the word love. That, that's where I went. And that's what I used. And so as I started um, uh, reading this book, there was a quote that, that Bob has, and it says this. Quit waiting for a plan. Just go love everybody. Now, that's a a good uh, philosophy. This book that he wrote and Love Does, he shares a bunch of remarkable stories from his life, and he shows how living and loving to its fullest is the best way to make Jesus known in this world. 
You know, that's the same thing true for us. The best way that we can make Jesus known in the Centralia area is for us to live out love. Well, you know, Bob was a great example of this because for the last 15 years, using the resources from the the sale of this book, they have um, put uh, schools into over 15 different countries. And you can see on the screen, there's a list of them. Um, They started in Uganda. Now they're in Afghanistan, the Congo, India, Iraq, Nepal, Somalia. And what we've got to be careful is that we don't fall into that trap of paralysis by analysis. And instead, we live out an active love. And so um, what really helped me fall in love with this story was when Bob told about an encounter with this guy named Randy. And so I can't do as good a job as Bob can on that. And so what I want to do is uh, I want you to watch this video and listen to Bob tell about how he and Randy became friends. Hey, I don't know what high school was like for you, but it was a really tough time for me. I wasn't good at girls, I wasn't good at school, I wasn't good at sports. I had this GPA you could count up on two fingers. And for a lot of us, we think it's going to end at high school, and when it doesn't, we're thinking like, oh no. There was a guy that showed up at my high school, his name was Randy, and he had a motorcycle and a beard and a girlfriend. I kind of hated him because I wanted a motorcycle and a beard and a girlfriend, and he was with this outfit called Young Life, and their idea is to reach out to high school kids and let them know about Jesus. And I kept him at bay, right, because that wasn't my thing. But he showed up at all my stuff, and I really wanted to be my friend. And I really thought that was kind of neat. Well, school wasn't going that great, so there's this test you can take. It's called the GED. You get this diploma without even graduating from high school. The problem was I couldn't figure out how to sign up for it, which was an indicator, right? So I uh, showed up on Randy's doorstep on a Sunday morning because I decided I'm out of there. I'm not going to go to high school anymore. And I knocked on the door, and after a long couple minutes, Randy shows up. And I said, man, thanks for being a great friend. I really appreciate it. I'm going to move to Yosemite and climb rocks, you know, because, like, with a body like this, who would want to climb rocks? And uh, he looked at me kind of puzzled, and he said, oh, Bob, when are you going to go? And I said, well, now. And I pointed over to my Volkswagen, and he said, hang on a second. He disappeared for a long couple of minutes, and I had all the time in the world, right? I wasn't in high school anymore. And when he came back, he had a, a backpack over one arm and a sleeping bag under the other. And he said, I'm with you. And I said, well, you're going to go with me right now. And he did. He just threw his stuff on top of my stuff, and we jumped in the Volkswagen, and we split. So I just quit high school, just like that. I was out. Randy and I went to Yosemite. We got to this beautiful place and started climbing rocks right away. The adventure was on. And I love that he was just with me. Aren't adventures a lot better when you're just doing something? Somehow it makes quitting stuff not as scary when you're with somebody, right? And there's something that happens too. There's something really beautiful when we quit things once in a while. Do you ever feel like your life is just so filled with things that 
you can't even move it around. I think they make TV shows about some of us. It's called Hoarders, right? We get so much stuff in our life, we can't even navigate through our living rooms anymore. And I think Jesus, just throughout Scripture, has people quitting stuff and finding stuff and quitting stuff. And so you know one thing that I do? Every single Thursday, I quit something, even today, every single Thursday. And there's something beautiful that happens. It makes room in my life for like Jesus to just suck beautiful things in. I can start navigating, navigating towards him again. I don't have all these fixed points, but you got to pick the right stuff to quit, don't you? You don't want to quit things that are beautiful and good for you. But there's some stuff like half of you guys are afraid you're going to lose your job. The other half of you are afraid you're going to keep it. What if we quit stuff? You know, we don't even know what day of the week it was when Jesus came by the disciples and said, quit what you're doing, drop your nets and follow me. But I bet it was on a Thursday. I don't even know when in Exodus Moses says, we're out of here, but I'm just hoping that was on a Thursday too. It's okay to quit stuff. It's a beautiful thing. Just quit the right stuff. That's the trick. And when I left for Yosemite, I'd felt like I'd quit the right stuff. And you know what? Sometimes we get it wrong. And that's the beautiful part about God with us, Emmanuel, right? He says like, even when we quit the wrong stuff, he'll never quit us. He's with us over and over again. We quit the wrong things. We just need to not quit him. We just need to quit thinking that if we make a mistake, if we go through this door, somehow we've deviated from his plan. You know what his plan is? Him. Just keep loving him. And we're never, if we don't quit doing that, we're good. So we got to Yosemite Valley and we started applying for jobs, right? And I couldn't get a job anywhere. I went to this outfitting store. They hook people up with backpacks and sleeping bags and all that. And I applied and they said, like, do you have a high school diploma? I said, well, not really. <laughs> I went to a place and applied where they make pancakes. I mean, like, who couldn't make pancakes for a living? And I got aced out there too. It was like, you know, these doors were being closed. But, you know, at the same time, what's this about open doors and closed doors? I mean, doors are supposed to work that way. Some are closed, some are open, and the ones that are closed sometimes are meant to be open. You know the question I've been asking? Is that door locked? And you know what I realized with Randy? A lot of these doors were locked. And it's kind of a bummer. It's a bummer to see a dream die. Has that happened to you where you had something you were really angling for? You were so looking forward to it, and it's just dying. And I feel like when a dream dies, they shouldn't die alone. There's something beautiful about Randy and what he continued to say in Yosemite Valley. And it was these three words, I'm, I'm just with you. Well, Randy didn't give me a bunch of teachable moments. He didn't talk to me and say what a screw up I was or tell me next time how I should fix it. There's something beautiful when you're with people, they just know that. That's just beautiful about just holding one another close. And Randy held me closer than a brother because he knew that I was a guy who needed to be held close. Who's somebody in your life? Who's somebody that you need to be with? You need to be held, holding them close. Well, we decided we would leave. And uh, Randy, again, didn't say much on the drive home. He didn't wreck it. And we got back to the block that he lived on. And his girlfriend was over visiting, I guess, because her park, car was parked in the driveway. And uh, we pulled in. And I followed Randy into the house. I kind of felt invited into his whole life. And when I walked inside, there was a bunch of plates over here and a microwave and 
like an Osterizer and I have some wrapping paper. And I was thinking, you know, this isn't Christmas and I didn't think it was his birthday. And then the nickel dropped. On Saturday, Randy had gotten married. And on Sunday, I showed up on his door. And he didn't see me as a distraction. He saw me as a kid who was about to jump the track and who needed somebody to be with him. I love that of all the names that Jesus could have come up for himself, he used the word Emmanuel, right? God with us. Who could we be Emmanuel to? Who has God dropped onto your porch? And you've just had that moment where you got to decide, are they a distraction to me? Or are they what I'm all about? Like, who could we be a Randy to? And who is it that's been a great Randy to you? Will you call them up and say, you know, will you send them a text message right now and say, thanks for being with me? Or somebody that needs a, a Randy, a you in their life, send them a message and say, I'm with you. What I realized about Randy is that he'd been with me. He hadn't just been with me there to correct me or with me by having some Bible study. You know, he was just actually with me. And, and I learned a lot about Jesus from Randy. Because when Jesus said he was Emmanuel, he said, I'm with you. And that love isn't just something that is a bunch of rules or it's making all the right moves. Love does. Could you imagine that? Giving up on high school, walking out the door, stopping by what you thought was a friend just to kind of give them the uh, bad news. And instead of them giving you a lecture, instead of them scolding you, and instead of them telling you what you're about to do is going to ruin your life, instead they walk out with a backpack and a sleeping bag and say, I'm with you. You know, I, I'll bet everyone in here has a Randy in their life. That at some point you were at that, right at the edge of making bad decision after bad decision. And instead of scolding you, instead of telling you how horrible that was, they reached out to you and they were with you. Wonderful story. I love what Bob shared. I loved that a guy named Randy got out of his comfort zone and, and helped somebody who was in need. Well, you know, when I talk about love does, and, and I say it's a tale of two friendships, the first friendship is that of Bob and Randy, but the second friendship I want to tell you about is a, from the Bible, and it's about David and Jonathan. I don't know if uh, you know much about David and Jonathan, but let me just read one passage to you, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 1, and it says these words, As soon as he finished speaking to Saul, and this is David, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. You know, when you, when you, we think about David, we remember David as King David. We remember David as um, the, the, the mighty conqueror. But the person who Jonathan sees before him was a shepherd, was a harp player. He wasn't the mighty warrior. Yep, he had uh, beaten Goliath. But I would imagine that at that point in his life, everybody was saying that was an accident. That was just a, 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 a once in a lifetime. It'll never happen again. There's no more Goliaths. 
And so David was still nothing more than a shepherd boy who played a harp. And the son of the king, and the Bible tells us that his soul was knit to him. He loved him. Well, if you go back a little bit, there's, there's a story behind how David got to this point. And Saul, the king at that time, had rejected God, had rejected his uh, role as the king. And so Samuel was told by God to go and find the new king and to anoint him and to find him out of Jesse's sons. And so Samuel went, and in 1 Samuel 16, and verses 10 through 11, it says these words, And Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. Now, you know, when we watch and we read these things in Scripture, sometimes we think that, you know, uh, it, it just happens so quickly. I remember um, showing my uh, son the, the computer game Hunter. And, and he wanted to, to go hunting. And so uh, we pulled up this computer game Hunter. And what was interesting is in a, the span of five minutes, it would make 12 or 15 hours go by. And in that span of 12 to 15 hours, like seven deer would walk in front. And he, he could shoot them on the computer. It's not like that in real life. And sometimes I think that when we see Scripture, we think about it as that computer game that it just snap, 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 happens very quickly. And that's not the way that it happens. And in this case, Samuel, he came to Jesse, and he told Jesse that the, the Lord was picking a new king out of one of his sons. And you can imagine, Jesse, he's putting on a feast now. And this takes hours. He has all the boys go and uh, get, get showers, get cleaned up put on their best garments. The, the dinner is prepared. You could probably smell the, the, the meat that's being barbecued. And after these seven sons, and there's a problem with that number seven, is that Jesse didn't just have seven sons. He had eight. And so Samuel asked him, or makes this statement, the Lord has not chosen these. And then he asks a question. The obvious question, are all your sons here? And Jesse gives a unique answer. And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. Now we can add and, and, and wonder, why was David left to keep the sheep? And why, if this, the, the prophet told Samuel that one of your sons is going to be the next king, why wouldn't all of his sons be in line to go before Samuel? I think that there was something about David that Jesse was embarrassed about. I remember in basic training that uh, we would uh, have to do a parade. And in this parade, we would be graded on how well we marched. And what we would do is the, the worst marchers, because there's nothing like having 40 men or women in a formation and, and 38 of them doing the exact same thing and two not. Because what you will obviously notice is the two that aren't doing it the correct way. And so what we would do is we would hide these guys by not allowing them to be part of that formation and we would assign them dorm guard for the day, conveniently. 
I think, I think David was assigned dorm guard by his father, Jesse. Because he was embarrassed about something about David. And maybe we need to know the rest of the story. In Psalm 51 that Carrie had shared a little bit about, that, that uh, psalm where David uh, confesses his sins, it shows that contrite heart. I think Psalm 51 is probably one that all Christians have at one time or another in their life cried out to God. And in verse 5 of Psalm 51, it says these words, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now many will automatically go to the doctrine of total depravity and the original sin, which means that all of us are born in sin through from Adam on down to, to when we were born. But, but I think that, you know, yes, that doctrine is true, but the words say, in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, you know, the Bible tells us that the wedding bed is undefiled. So it is not sinful for a woman to conceive a child in that marriage relationship. But I believe that there was something different, something that most of us never hear about when it comes to David, when it comes to his life, when it comes to his past. Here's what I mean. I don't know if you'll remember, but I put up a slide showing Abraham and Isaac and his sons uh, when I talked about Joseph and I talked about legacy. I want to show that slide to you again, and I want to point out that um, one of Jacob's sons to the first wife, Leah, his name was Judah. That arrow's pointing down to Judah. I don't know if that's what he looked like, but that's what he looks like today. And Judah had three sons. The first son he had was named Ur. The second son he had was named Onan, and the third was Shelah. And Ur got married to a woman by the name of Tamar. And the Bible tells us that Ur was a wicked man, and God killed him. And so Jacob um, promised the next son to Tamar, and so Onan married Tamar and took on that role and the Bible says that he was a wicked man too, and God killed him. And now there was a big age gap between Onan and Shelah. I don't know exactly how many years, but there was a significant number of years. And Jacob had told Tamar that just stay with us. You're going to find out that um, I'm going to give you Shelah as your next husband when he's old enough. Well, he got old enough, but Jacob didn't follow through on his word. Remember, Jacob deceives a lot of people in his life. And here he was deceiving Tamar. And the Bible tells us a story about Judah and Tamar in Genesis chapter 38, verses 11 through 30. I'm not going to read all those verses to you. I just want to tell you the rest of the story. Because Tamar realizes that she is not going to be given another husband. She's not going to have children in this family. And I'm sure the story of Jacob and Esau was well known. They knew about how Jacob had deceived his brother with the help of his mother. And so Tamar decided to deceive Jacob. 
And she heard that Jacob was going a couple of towns away, and he was going to, uh, they were going to shear the sheep. And so she went ahead, she set herself up on the side of the road like a prostitute. And she had a little tent set up, and as Judah came by, he noticed her, and he thought, well, you know what, no one's around, and he went in and he slept with her. And she asked for payment, and he said, well, I don't have anything. And, and so she said, well, you're going to have to leave something until, because he promised sending a goat back. And so you have to leave something. He goes, well, what about my signet? This is what they used instead of signatures. And what about my cord, which would be wrapped around his wrist, and it would, it would represent his family? And what about my staff? I'll leave these three things. These are valuable. These are important to me. And she says, I'll accept that. So he went on his way thinking no one knows about this. And he sends one of his workers to to take a goat back to her. And when the, the worker gets back there, she's gone. There's no tent. There's no prostitute. Well, he doesn't think anything of it. kind of thinks he got away with it. Three months later, word comes to him that Tamar is pregnant. Listen to this. By immorality. She conceived in sin. So Judah says, bring her here. He's going to kill her. He's going to stone her right in front of everybody. And the messenger that came to get her, she gave him the signet. She gave him the cord. And she gave him the staff and says, Let Judah know that the man who got me pregnant owns these. And when Judah was revealed to him that his sin wasn't in secret, his sin was now open for all the world to see. You see, This is a legacy that seemed to be going down David's bloodline. And I have no proof. This is raw-nology if you're staying with me. I have no proof that Jesse had an illicit affair, and that's how David was born. But it only makes sense when you look at the evidence. The Bible tells us that the sins of the father reach down to the fourth generation. And I think that the the sin that, that rolled in this family was one of... illicit relationships. And it didn't stop there. David himself had did the same thing with Bathsheba. Now, let me take you back to our story in 1 Samuel 18, verses 2 and 3. And it says, And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. And then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul pretty powerful. And the next verse says, and Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Ladies and gentlemen, you you could recognize if Jonathan walked into the room and David walked into the room, you could recognize who the son of the king was. 
And you could recognize him by his robe. You could recognize him by his armor. You could recognize him by his sword. And you could recognize who David the shepherd was because of what he wore. Or maybe what he didn't wear. And Jonathan knowing this. And and thinking just like Jesus thought. That I'll become just like man. He became just like David and gave up his position as a son of the king. I don't know if you remember, but uh, a couple of weeks ago in the series Dysfunctional, I talked about the word honor. And what that word honor means is to leverage your power, to leverage your resources, to leverage your influence. Well, I think that we saw Jonathan do the just this. He leveraged his power with that robe because with that robe came everything that was a part of the king. He leveraged him with his resources because he gave him his armor. And he leveraged him with his influence by giving him his sword. When Jonathan was walking around the nation of Israel and he pulled that sword out, everybody knew that this was the son of the king. In verse 5 of 1 Samuel 18, it says these words, And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. And I believe just like Bob Goff is successful today because a, a guy named Randy, the day after his wedding, hauls off to Yosemite for a kid who was hurting. And I believe that when Jonathan made that covenant with David and gave everything that was owed to him to David, That is the reason why David was successful. Yes, I know that God was a part of David's life and God had everything to do. And I would tell it to you this way, that God brought Jonathan into David's life. God brought Randy into Bob Gov's life. And and I believe that success follows love. Think about your Randy. Think about the decisions you've made since then. They were tough, but because somebody was there loving you, unconditionally, it empowered you. You know, in this series, I started off with the five love languages. And uh, the one I want to talk to you today about is acts of service. Because love does is a perfect description of acts of service. And there's no better verse, maybe the the most common verse in the world, John 3.16, that shares with us the ultimate act of service. Where it says, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, it's unfortunate that in the church we sometimes take simple salvation and make it complicated. We take a, a, a verse that says that whosoever believeth and then we put a parenthesis and add a parenthetical statement and add, and is faithful every Sunday, ties regularly, reads their Bible every day, prays, and we just keep adding to that list. But that's not what God said. God said, whosoever believes. And we have a hard time reconciling, but yet they're not living like they believe. Well, there's a simple answer. 
Either they believed or they didn't. Either God's changing them or they, he's not. Either the Holy Spirit's convicting them or he's not. And, and unfortunately, many of us want to be the Holy Spirit for our friends and our family. We want to be the one that tells them that, you know what, those drugs that you're doing, they're wrong, it's sin. I, I promise you, you, you don't have to be the one to tell them that. They know it already. And maybe instead of being told the obvious, what they know, maybe they need to be told instead that you love them. But do it the way Jesus did it and show them with actions, not just words. If you're watching online, whenever this is, I would encourage you, don't let this moment escape. If you go to our website, tbccentralia.com slash next, you'll find a list of next steps, and everyone has a next step. If you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, that is the most important step you could ever take in your life. And I would encourage you to go down to that first step where it says get in and read through that. Read those verses and hear from God and let God speak to your heart. And culminate with John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, that's you, believeth in him should not perish. We know the Bible tells us in John chapter 15 and verse 13 that there is no greater love than this, that a man would lay down his life for a friend. Now I want you to understand, it didn't say that a man would lay down his life for a brother or a mom or a dad. It says, there's no greater love than that a man will lay down his life for a friend. See, it's expected that we would do that for our loved ones. And maybe it's not expected when it comes to friendships. And so I'll ask you these two questions in closing. Who's your Randy? Who's the person that has, was there for you when you needed it? When, when you thought all was lost? When you thought everything was going to go the wrong way? And they just stepped in and they just put a hand on your shoulder and they said, I'm with you. Who is it that gave up? See, Randy didn't lay down his life for Bob. All he did was give up his honeymoon. And, and you know, sometimes we see that verse in John 15, 13, and we say, greater love is no man this, that he lays down his life. And we think, well, there's never an opportunity for me to lay down my life. And yet we won't even give out an extra $20 or we won't give a weekend or we won't say no to something that we want to help somebody who needs it. See, that's what love does. And the second question I ask you is, who can you be a Jonathan for? You know, I, I'm convinced that all of us are walking past people every day in our lives. They may be at Walmart. They may be here today. They may have been at the bonfire last night. And they're hurting. And they're looking for a Jonathan. Somebody who will leverage their resources, leverage their power, leverage their influence on behalf of them, even though they don't deserve it, even though they can't pay it back ever. And here's what happens. When love does, you'll find out that a connection 
is established. You'll find out that uh, acceptance versus rejection is received by your David. And you'll find out that that relationship is nurtured and not abused. I've told you each week, and I'll continue to tell you until the series is over, that an act of love is one that is selfless. And a cry for love is one that is selfish. Where are you today? Are you ready? Are you, has hope been ignited in your heart that you want to go out and be a Jonathan to somebody? Has hope been ignited in your life as you think back to the Randys in your life? If you would, just bow your head right now and just listen to the questions I'm going to ask and, and the response I'm going to ask for. Who in here, when, when I talk about Randy, you can think of somebody that was in your life and they were there at the right moment. Just show me by uh, raising your hand. That's all I'm going to ask for. Raise your hand. If you can think of a Randy that was there for you when you needed it. Amen. Let me, let's just pray. God, you, you see the hands and hearts here, Lord. And, I, and I, God, I just ask that you would allow those Randys to hear from us. And allow us to show our appreciation and our thanks. And as we continue with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Who in here realizes that there's a David in your life? And God's been putting it on your heart to be a Jonathan. To step out of your comfort zone. To leverage your power, your resources, your influence for them. And you're struggling with this and you, you don't know if you should or shouldn't. How many in here recognize that there's a David in life? Would you raise your hand and allow me to pray for you right now? Amen. God, you see the hands and more importantly, the hearts. Lord, I pray that you would just give them boldness. Allow them to honor this David in their life. To leverage all that they have. So that that this David might see Jesus through them. While we continue in prayer, let me just ask you. One other question. Do you need to start a relationship with Jesus? Have you never asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? If you're here today, I would encourage you to join me down on the front pew while we begin to sing. And allow me to show this to you through scripture. If you're watching online, I would encourage you, go to that website, tbccentralia.com slash next. And read through that first step of get in. The most important step you'll ever take in your life. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, simply go to www.tbccentralia.com forward slash next. You see, here at TBCC, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight.